0: again. Am I on? Okay. Adam said, it looks like you have a lot of notes. I said, not really. They just have a really big font because I need to be able to see them. The Lord told me this morning, don't make it complicated. What? Oh, kids need to go. (laughs) I thought maybe the kids need to hear my message, I guess. Children, if you're leaving to go to class, go ahead and go downstairs. Be good. No one wants to leave, I guess. No one's following Jill. Jill's by herself. I guess I could use my teacher voice. Kids, leave. (laughs) I think a lot of the kids are gone today, actually, maybe. No, God told me this morning that don't overcomplicate things. So I finally make the decision that I'm taking today's sermon and breaking it into two parts. My first two-part series sermon. Um, Trevor had been asking me for a while now to do this, and I didn't tell my wife until she questioned me about it. I've been taking notes all summer, and I've been reading, and so here it is. Today well, we're going to be reading from. That means you need your Bibles because we're going to read a large section of the print. Because. There's not a lot of you in Sunday school, so I figure we need a lot of text, okay? So maybe we need a little more Bible, not to put you on, on pedestal or anything. But today we're going to be reading. We're not going to just be reading, but we're going to be learning, and we're going to be applying our own life to, the, to King David and how he went from a hero to zero. Now, some of you that may be reading a book that I'm reading right now, you maybe have seen that. And he went from hero to zero on purpose because God could restore him. God brought David back to him. I've chosen to read from the book of 2 Samuel today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there now, I chose to read from 2 Samuel because God gives us an explicit illustration of our father's objective to tutor our hearts. Has God ever tutored your heart? to correct us and to restore us to a life of obedience when we go astray. God will do whatever it takes. And did you hear what I said? Whatever. When we go astray, God will do whatever it takes to correct us and restore us to a life of obedience when we do wrong, when we sin against God. We should be changing our thinking from what's God doing to me now How many of you have done that? Why is he doing this to me now? What test do I have now? We need to change our thinking from what is he doing this to me for to God's discipline is a good thing. And God's discipline is a good thing because when we are living unrighteously, we are moving further away from him. So when he is disciplining us, that means he's forcing us back to him. Has anyone ever needed to get closer to him? Give me an amen. I'm trying to be. I'm trying, Beth. I'm trying to make it a little Pentecost here for you. There you go. So I'm going to go to Second Samuel 11, and I'm actually going to read all of 11 and some of 12, because we need the context. Now, some of you, you know this context. So Second Samuel chapter 11, you know about David and Bathsheba, right? In the spring at that time, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroy the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the top of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to go find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So, do we see this hero, David? going to zero. We see it. So David sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go to his own house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and the Israel of, and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Sounds like a virtuous man, right? What was David trying to do? Cover it up. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. (laughs) Didn't work again, did it? In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this reaccount of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jer- Jeroboam? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebez? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The, mes- the messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open. But we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead. Now David thinks it's all over. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, don't let this upset you, Joab. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So David's plan is working out. David's hiding. Look at 12. Nathan rebukes David. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and when he had came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his Own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had to come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. David's forgetting about his own sin. He's putting himself over the sinner. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I deliver you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all the Israel and all of Judah. And if this all had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring a calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in the broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in a broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against God. I've chosen to read this today because after reading this, I think that we can apply this to our own life. David had it all. Do you agree? Do you have it all? We do. We do. We know about David from a young age. In 1 Samuel 17, we have read that from a young age, we know he tri- triumphed over a Philistine giant with a sling and a stone. And after that, he become almost like a big public um, spotlight person, a person who was a national hero. He was a big general and eventually the king of Israel. God gave him spectacular success in everything because he had a good heart. I want you to think about your life. Has God given you spectacular success in your life? Now, spectacular success doesn't maybe look like his life, but think about your home. Think about the blessings in your life. Think about those people that you have in your life. Think about the gifts that you do have. Do you ever ask yourself or tell yourself it's not enough? That's what he did. That's what David did. Now, you have to remember something about David. In Acts 13, God refers to him as a man of his own heart, even. He had such a good heart before this that God said, in Acts thirteen twenty two that he was a man of his own heart. We should be desiring to be men and women of God's own heart. So the question I have for you today is, do you desire to please him daily? But something got the better of him. Something got in the way of David. He wasn't on guard. What can, we can see what got in the way in 2 Samuel. What got in the way of seconds in 2 Samuel? Desires and lust. What else got in the way of, during this time, besides desires and lust. Trying to cover it up. So we have to ask ourselves, what gets the better of me? Right now, I just want you to think, what what gets the better of you? You have those days where you experience beautiful, blissful peace in God because you're following the commandments, you're glorifying him, but then there's something that gets the better of you. Write that down if you're taking notes. What gets the better of me? Like David, we have it all. We can be living in a way that we're thriving in the peace of the Lord, and bam, something gets the better of us. It can be the desires of the flesh, like sexual desires. It could be your desire to be at the top of the list. It could be your desire to be better, It could be your desire to be the best. You might desire to get everyone's attention or to be more comfortable. What gets the better of me? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Think about the sin in your own life. Think about your own offenses against God today. What David didn't see right off is that he wasn't where he should be. That's the next thing I'd like for you to write down is where should I be? At the beginning of verse 11, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, who goes off to war? Kings. What was David? A king. But what did he choose to do? He chose to stay back and watch television, to watch the game, to maybe have a little relaxation, to maybe go fishing, to maybe golf, to maybe go shopping. David sent Joab out with the king's men instead and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, since he was where he wasn't supposed to be, what happened? He sinned. So I'm asking you, are you always where you should be? You see, sometimes if we're not where we should be, we will be tempted to do what we shouldn't do. Write that down. If you're taking notes, if we're not where we should be, we will be tempted to do what we shouldn't do. Have you been in the wrong place? Raise your hand if you've ever been in the wrong place. I'm going to hold two hands up. Did you like that wrong place? Two hands up. We did. Do you know where you shouldn't be? We usually do. But there's a reason we're not where God wants us to be usually. There's a reason. And usually that reason we're not not where we should be is because of the word I and the word me and the word we. So maybe we're not where we're supposed to be because man, that group of friends of mine is really fun. You know what I mean? Maybe it's the desires of the flesh. Maybe it's just because I want a little extra sleep that I think I deserve. Maybe it's because there's something else I want to buy. Is it the desire for our children to experience it all? And when I say all, all the worldly things, but not the time of church, the time of Sunday school, the time of prayer, the time of character lessons. Do you know which establishments are going to get you in trouble? I do. Daily still, I know where I'm going to get in trouble. Daily still, I have to think about where am I going to be able to glorify God at and where am I not going to be able to glorify God at? Is it overtime hours that you're putting in to make more money, to buy more things? These things draw you further away from him. So I'm going to ask you now the next question. Do you know where you're going that gets in your own way? Where are you going that gets you in your own way? After David sinned, there's something that David soon learned. There are no secret sins. There's no secret sins. Now there's times that we can hide that sin from each other. We can hide that sin from the Sunday school teacher. We can hide that sin from our pastor. We can hide that sin from our spouse or something like that. but we can't hide it from God. There are no secret sins. There's no hiding it from God. Even though God gave him everything that he wanted, David wanted more. Don't we always want more? Hebrews 4.13, if you want to turn to that, it says, Nothing in all creation. Nothing in all creation. Is creation pretty big? Creation's pretty big. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Think about that. Everything that each one of us has done is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Proverbs 5.21 says, for your ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all your paths. In 2 Samuel 11, 6-11, through he's trying to cover up his own sin. But you see, Uriah didn't go along with it. After he got Bathsheba pregnant, Uriah comes back from war, being really nice to him, he's sending him gifts. He's saying, hey, go home, wash your feet, watch the game, make love to your wife, because he's trying to cover up his own sin. It didn't work. He tries it a second time. He's trying to do it his way. It didn't work. Then the third time, he plotted. He went from hero to zero. Now he's becoming a murderer. 2 Samuel 7.13, God sends Nathan to confront him. Let's look at that again. 2 Samuel 7 through 13, 12, I'm chapter 12. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anoint you, the king over Israel, and I deliver you from the hands of Saul. Even though God delivers us every day, he delivers us from unhappiness. He delivers us from sickness. He delivers us from death. I gave you... Your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all Judah. And look at this next part. And if all this had not been, if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. But why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in His eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be our own. And when I started out this morning, we talked about that discipline. As I get into my second part in two weeks, we're going to be talking more about that redemption and that discipline that God provides us through this hard time that now God is saying, I love you, but you're going to pay the consequences. And it's through that struggle that you're going to be close to me. You're going to grow closer to me. It says, you did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So God sent Nathan to confront him when at a time David thought he was still hiding it all, thinking that he got away with it. But soon David begins being corrected and begins his journey back to God. Today I want you to think about those times in your life that's been a little hard, maybe a whole lot hard. Have you ever looked back at those times and thought, those afflicted times were times that maybe God was drawing you closer. Maybe he was trying to tutor your heart. Today, I want you to think about this. Even though we have some asterisks by our names of the sin that we've had in our life, there's something that we should know. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep, In in Sunday school, we talk about sheep a lot. What do we know about sheep? They're dumb. They really can't survive without a shepherd. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The penalty for our sins, past, the present, and the future think about that, has already been paid, already been laid on the Christ and paid in full. So today, as Tanya plays, our musicians come back up. I want you to think about the points that I've made today. I want you to think about what's God doing to me now? But I want you to think more of how is God's discipline a good thing? I want you to think about how do you put yourself in your own way? And I want you to ask yourself, am I in a place where I'm putting myself in my own way? Have you been living in the wrong places when you should have been where God wanted you to be instead? See, sometimes where God wants us to be, it's very uncomfortable. sometimes where God wants us to be we don't want to be we're not happy have you been trying to hide your sin has your sin been following you and not giving you peace have you been in your own way if you'd please stand with us today I'm going to ask you just to while music's played before we even sing I want you just to think today i want you to think about your past sins i want you to think about how those sins can and the affliction of the lord how can those sins bring you closer to him sadly there may be some in this room have never really ever came to him you may have been doing all the things you thought you were supposed to do you may have been attending church You may have been coming to Bible study. You may have been doing really good things with the Lord. But maybe you haven't developed that relationship where you're sitting and standing right next to him, side by side, daily, desiring him, growing closer to him. So today, as we sing, I encourage you to make some kind of decision either at your seat or at the altar. We have many that would come and pray with you. We're all sinners. Amen. Sing with us, please.